I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Welcome off the post. I'm Russ Cohen. We've got Anthony Mangione. And how are you? Doing fine on this Sunday morning. How are you, Russ? I don't know. I'll let you know about 4 o'clock. Uh, Michael Jell, <laughs> how are you? I am tired but well, and the Yankees are up to nothing. There you go. I'm glad you got that in. We all were worried about the Yankees losing to the Twins, even a game. Sure. Okay. So let's talk a little hockey. I'm, I guess I'll start off with the uh, – with the New York Rangers, because right now they've had a couple of really good games. Mm-hmm. Micah Zibanejad had a hat trick yesterday. I, I mean, I get it. They're playing the Ottawa Senators yesterday. I, I will tell you, though, Brady Kachuk looked great in that game. Like, Brady Kachuk's going to be an it was amazing a good player. Both games. Kachuk, Kachuk yeah. looked good both, both the games for Ottawa, so I, I've, been, yeah. I've been pretty impressed with his play early on. Yeah, and I think we all expected a jump this year. I, this is why, and I'll never understand it, and look, Svechnikov had a couple of assists last night, but – he would have been the second pick for me in his draft. Dead mm-hmm. and done. He was always the second pick for me, but whatever. Um, the Ottawa team, we know they, they kind of are what they are, but, but the Rangers are at least proving that. I, I think they're sort of like the Leafs of a couple years ago where there's now enough offense on that team that you know they could overcome the occasional uh, defensive turnover or just not perfect defense because of all the puck moving. And, it, and, and the other interesting thing is I think we're learning now in this era, we don't have to have, like, all superstars on the first line. Like, their, their line of Zabanajad, Panarin, and Buchnevich is really well-balanced, and I think that's what it is. You want to have as many well-balanced lines as you could have. Exactly, and I think in this circumstance, again, Zabanajad's always had talent. It's just the question yeah. was, and again, it always a center is also sometimes only as good as the line mates he has, and mm-hmm. he's got two outs. I mean, you don't get much more talent than than our than Artemi Panarin on one no. wing, which is going to immediately unlock a lot. It'll unlock on areas of your game that as a centerman that you may not even know you had because now all of a sudden you can pull plays that you couldn't do before with with yep. with limited with limited talent. So adding that, but I think the biggest beneficiary to all, in that partnership, as you said, is probably going to be Pavel Busnevich because yep. now everybody's so focused in on those two players and Panarin always is going to be uh, your focal point because of how he can damage you in so many ways uh, offensively that this allows the Snevich really to really maybe potentially have that, uh, that breakout season that I think everybody's kind of waiting for. And then again, we're going to see with the remainder of the lineup, how things sort of coalesce around them. I do have some concerns, not again with Zibanejad's talent, but I do have some concerns long-term with, at least for this season, with their overall center depth. Like, Zibanejad, I think, can play as a 1C. He'll, I think mm-hmm. this is the year where I think he, with that kind of a line mate with him, he, he can certainly get there. Um, but I do think the Rangers do have to sort of, if they are competing, that they, I, they will need additional, uh, additional center depth, I think, as we go along during the season. It will be a target area as we go along. No, I, no doubt. And I think maybe Kratzoff gets these games in the AHL now, and, and maybe mm-hmm. they'll get him in there at some point. We'll see. I know he's young, but he's not that young when it comes to experience. So maybe uh, 
that will be the change, or maybe Nemestikov moves there. But Ryan Strom actually did a decent job. Uh, Mike, what's your what's your thoughts on the early going with the Rangers? You know, Lundqvist won one, Georgiev won one. We talked about their tandem. They do have probably the the best or second best tandem in the Metro. Yeah, and they should take advantage of that because we know the way the league is going right now in terms of splitting goaltenders, unless you're Mike Babcock and you're going to continue to play your goaltender 65 games, uh, you know, it's smart if you have a good number two that you distribute it evenly. And we know Georgiev is, is an excellent goaltender. I mean, I, I'm on the same page as Anthony. I mean, I, I love the talent that the Rangers have, but I'm a little concerned about the depth up the middle. And if you, you had this, ho- this hodgepodge of, you know, maybe Nemestikov, maybe Howden, maybe Strom. I mean, eventually you're going to find somebody that fits. But I think that's going to be a concern. I, like, I picked them to be in the playoffs, so I, I think it's going to be a concern that they can get past because there's so much talent uh, on that team. But it, it could be a concern for them. Yeah, no, no question. So, Mike, um, speaking of, of concerns, I mean, the first one actually is not a concern. I actually saw this posted last night and thought it was interesting. So David Riddich was the first goalie of the Calgary Flames to – get a shutout at home since Roman Turek, or opening the season. Hold on, i got to see if that's uh, – yeah, op- home opener since Roman Turek. And so that's 2001. When's the last time you heard Roman Turek mentioned in, in a sentence? Um, <laughs> when, great, great goaltending busts in St. Louis Blues history. If that, 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 That's probably the last yeah. time I heard his name. But, yeah, I mean – it's funny because essentially with Edmonton and Calgary, you had number ones being traded, even though it wasn't a trade, Talbot going to Calgary, Mike Smith going to Edmonton. You know, yeah. Reddish is sort of a little bit forgotten there because he sort of the, was the quasi number one until late in the season when they went with the more experienced Smith in the playoffs. They're going to need Riddich to play better than he did last year for them to yes. win the division and go further in the playoffs in the first round. So, I mean, that's encouraging for the Flames. It is encouraging. So, encouraging or discouraging uh, the way that Leafs game went yesterday? Let's, let's talk about that. Uh, well, discouraging in the fact that they had a 4-1 lead, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a score that is etched in the memories of Maple Leaf fans. And uh, I think ran out of gas. In the, in the late second period, early third period, and then Montreal, you know, rushed in, scored four straight goals in a little under ten minutes, and only by the grace of God and Austin Matthews did they tie up and at least get a point. I mean, that's a symptom of, you know, second of back-to-back games and Babcock three games in four nights playing his fourth line less than ten minutes, playing his bottom pairing less than ten minutes, and his core guys getting gassed. And, you know, and, and he's rotating – a fourth line unit using Patan and Spezza in one game, Nick Shore and Dimitro Timoshov in the other. But it doesn't matter if you rotate them if you don't use them. And I, I, that's what I thought. They were gassed in the third period. And also, the Canadians, at a couple instances, and this is going to be an ongoing concern with the Leafs all year, Shea Weber crumples Tavares along the board. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was bad. Mar- Mitch Marner gets pancaked by <laughs> Jeff Petrie, and no response. The only response was Kasperi Kapanen getting into a shouting match with Max Domi and then being an idiot and throwing his stick at Petrie during a penalty kill and getting a penalty shot. So not a great outing there. They got a point. They got five of a possible six. But, you know, there are still some concerns with the Leafs. Yeah, and um, 
I don't know why Elliot Friedman put up a uh, post about throwing the stick. Like, I knew when I was six, you couldn't throw the stick or that was going to be a problem. I don't know. Do, yeah, do exactly. We have to... I, saw, I saw Elliot's tweet, and I was like, yeah, that's good. Good that, I mean, at the end of the day, you are going to have the odd person who's going to say, and it's weird because it shouldn't be, but, you yeah. know, that's Elliot just being, you know, that's Elliot just trying to make sure everybody's clear on what happened. Um, but, again, I, I, the other thing that I kind of chuckled with and then noticing how that 4-1 lead was blown was knowing full well who the coach was on the Montreal bench. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to that history with Michelle Therrien, with not Michelle Therrien, with um, – With uh, Claude uh, Julian, yes. Claude, Claude Julian. He's got Michelle Therrien on the brain with the Flyers here. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it was kind of like watching that and going, got some kind of voodoo doll going on over there. <laughs> with a 4-1 lead. But again, as Mike, as Mike brought it up, the one thing again that Montreal is able to do is, and they've they've established this as their identity now, that they like they're they're a team that is going to continue to try to pound away and pound away at you physically. Yes. And again, with a, with a fully healthy Shea Weber out there, I mean, it's like I mean, it's he's the closest thing in the NHL you have at this point now to Scott Stevens, and that yep. you know hit where his hits can turn a game, and that was something that again for a team like Toronto who has. Again, you know, it's still they as as Mike has said for years now on this program and every other program he's ever been on when talking about the Leafs, they have to be able to have a physical response, but they also have to be smart about it too. And yeah, if they have guys on again, there's guys on that team that could do that. You have a Jake Muzzin. There are those guys. I don't understand why Babcock doesn't send them right men- out. But it's a mentality thing. It's got to be. A, it it's got to be a yeah. mentality thing there. And I'm not and saying you throw caution to the wind and completely just, you know, just start taking crazy penalties just so you can get rid of that reputation. It's you have to be smart. You have to pick your spots, and you got to know when the other team is trying to get that in. And they've always had that concern the least that they can become very can become unglued with a lot of extensive physical play speaking of unglued mike so um i don't normally watch coach's corner but when i was fast forwarding i had seen that he mentioned baseball so i was fascinating why he mentioned baseball and actually don cherry's take on baseball was completely wrong because i forget who the milwaukee player give was. me the so last was... good take give me the last correct take don cherry i know had. I know, in but this one was laughable. This one was laughable, Ant, because I forget who the uh, Brewers player was, but he stuck his uh, tongue out at the home crowd, and then Don Cherry's like, see, we don't do that in this sport, kids. And, he, you know, and it's like, yeah, there's no Tom Wilson, Dominic Roussel. None of these things happened. Rod Brindamore the other day, I mean, come on, Don. But, but he did mention that what happened with Jason Spezza not playing was cruel, and I have to say, uh, Mike, that is the first sign of the wearing away of the veneer of Mike Babcock. That was the first real shot across the bow. Uh, well, I think, I mean, I have, I've interpreted earlier shots, but, I mean, this one is blatant. And the, and the thing is, and I've, and I've been consistent on this, I know that I, I took a little heat from some of the commenters on Hockey Buzz, but Babcock was involved in the wooing of Jason Spezza to Toronto. They told him what they wanted, they imagined his role would be. He signed on for a league minimum deal. You go into training camp and all of a sudden you're, you're moving him in and out of the lineup, asking him to be a penalty killer 
the whole point of this was to put, have a fourth-line guy who could be a matchup problem against other teams, a, vet, a former star player who could cause, cause problems to other teams who, who had like energy lines. Instead, you've got the, the consistent presence of Freddie Gauthier with his hands of stone and guys like Nick Shore, who I, I, I think is a borderline NHLer at best, and they're being utilized over guys like Spezza and Nick Batan, who I think is a skilled player. This is, a, this is the sign of the philosophical divide between Dubas and Babcock. And the problem is, for Mike Babcock, is if they don't get results this year, that philosophical divide will mean his butt on the unemployment line for at least a little bit. No question. All right, so now... I would... Go ahead, Ab. Now, again, in terms of... the. The whole thing with Spets, and I do have to kind of put a, maybe a, a little bit of a, of a look at, of a flip on this and, and looking at Spets is that I do often wonder sometimes when a player is used to playing in a star role and for, has done that for years, and you know, and also I'm sure Spets knows that as any player is going to know, they're going to get to the point of, you know, you know, you're going to have more physical limitations as you go on, but the mindset too of playing in a fourth line role after years of playing in usually a scoring line role. It takes, I think, a little bit of time, and I do wonder whether or not Mike can Mike can speak to this probably better than I can. Is that whether or not Spezza kind of has struggled to adapt to what those responsibilities are in playing in that kind of a role? Well, I mean, the funny thing is, is Babcock when he when he scratched Spezza on Wednesday in the home opener said that you know we want him to be part of our penalty kill and he still has to get up to speed on that, which is patently absurd. And then, it, and then on Friday when he did play, his role on the penalty kill was to win the faceoff and jump off the ice. That was his role. So, I mean, if, I'm sorry, Jason Spetz is a 57% faceoff winner. I don't think if that's the role you envision, envisioned for him, I think he could do that already. But this, this is Babcock doing his best to push buttons. Yeah, he said yesterday, we're going to have 10 games of basically a rotation with our bottom pairing, with our fourth line, him playing, playing, these, playing these games, getting these players to play the type of hockey that he wants them to play. And I just, I just don't think that he utilizes the talent that he has to the best of his ability. And sometimes I think that's going to cost the Leafs. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, but again, this is just one of those years now where Babcock will be under fire. It's just the margin of error has has dropped in this league, and I just think the patients are dropping with him. And we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And um, something else, and I didn't watch the game. I was just sort of updating. There were things going on in my neighborhood last night. But this, the Kings-Oilers the Kings Oilers game, the only thing I want to say is the people complaining about Jonathan Quick and then the people saying, well, you see, they made too much about Mike Smith. I mean, of course they made too much about Mike Smith. It was hockey night in Canada, and all they could talk about was his puck-clearing skills, whatever. Well, that, that, that was, let's face it, that was a pretty, <laughs> some pretty big gaps. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> this is what we expect from these teams. I mean, they don't have any defense. Like, it's just – it doesn't matter. In this age, I don't know what your guys' philosophy is, but mine is, in this era – you can't win it on your own. There is no more goalie standing on his head to win games when you've got four lines of players that could score at any time. I don't know what you're thinking, Ant. I mean, my thought is, again, is that, and, and I've always held to this, is that it's the goalie, the, the goalie and the team is a symbiotic relationship. And 
you know, there, but it has, it, it, it's a two-way street. The team has to have confidence that the stop is going to be made, that the necessary stops are made, and that the, play, the goaltender plays preferably within himself and within the system and has good communication, obviously, with not just everybody's focuses in on the defense. I'm talking about the forwards as well. So mm-hmm. in this circumstance, again, when you're when you're a team like those two, like 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 those two are in this circumstance, especially obviously with Edmonton, where let's face it, when you're getting down past their top, you know, the first past the first line, second line, eh, and the third and fourth line is ugh, uh, and, and your defense is, you know, I, I'm going to say is Sek- Andre Sekro would look pretty good right now on the Oiler defense right now mm-hmm. in terms of I got a, at least having some level of a calming influence. So. To your point, yes, I do think. To me, I think it's as much a symbiotic relationship. But the goalie also has to inspire confidence. And Mike Smith has always been a hot, as much a hot and cold goaltender as possible. Which is why, if you have a goaltender who can make the necessary stop and calm things down, that that gives a lot of confidence to the defense and to the forwards that you know they can take some chances offensively. But at the same time, they got to be able to support the the goaltender as well and not completely leave him out to dry. And unfortunately, we saw examples of that a lot last night. I mean, Mike, the, the Hockey Night in Canada coverage was so blatantly homerist, homerism. There was such homerism that they were like, well, we can't believe somebody would give up Mike Smith like this. And it's like, yeah, just stop. I mean, come on. We're at a couple games into the season. We know Mike Smith can handle the puck. We also know why Mike Smith, why they gave up on him. But what, what's your thoughts? Well, for, and also the fact that he's playing on a, I think, $1 million contract ahead of the guy that they signed to a three-year deal making four and a half, so they have the most expensive backup in the league. But, yeah. you know, and, no, and I, I know that on the, during the week, Russ, we're going to de- have to deal with a certain co-host of our, our Buzzcast walk, walking, in, walking into the, the room like he's Vince McMahon at a WWE yes. event because the, the, the Edmonton, <laughs> the flawed Edmonton Oilers are 2-0. and yeah, yeah, but they've beaten, the, they've beaten the LA Kings. Oh, boy. What a shock. And they barely uh, beat them. Barely. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're, they're purported to be the worst team in the Western Conference. So, you know, pat yourselves on the back and don't separate your shoulder, Oilers fans. But yeah, I, James, I, I mean, James Neal scored twice, Mike. That means James Neal is going to be big this year. They won the trade already. Remember that. Yeah, <laughs> great. Enjoy that. Enjoy the three more years of that contract. But <laughs> I, I, I just, you know, the thing is, okay, the Oilers, the Oilers are a team right now, and maybe it, it, maybe it showed its first sign. Adam Larson is out for two months. Their defense yeah. before that was challenged. Now it's borderline joke. And, you know, I think Evan Bouchard is a, is a great young player, but I think they had the right idea of sending him to Bakersfield and having him play probably half a year before calling him up. Now that's out the door because Larson yep. is hurt. And now I think you're exposing a young kid who might be able to handle the NHL, but you're exposing a young kid to, you know, the, the challenges of the league early on, and that's not a best thing, especially for a team that has a history of throwing 18-year-olds to the Lions. True. All right. So, and we're going to switch to the uh, to the Flyers, and we're going to picture ourselves in Prague, or at least look at Steve Wino's pictures, telling us that he's drinking these twenty-four ounce beers for fifty-six cents. That's that's. They are you know, I was and, jealous. And, and, and as you know, I'm the one person who actually has personal experience with that. Yes, so. I, I will have uh, to say is, though, there was something in me that was everything. jealous. Yeah. It is everything it is cracked up to be. It, the fact that beer is not a separate order; that it is a 
that is listed as a food, and as a, as a result, the prices on them are, are the price is ridiculous, and the beard is amazing, and the food is amazing. Yeah, it's okay to have a little tang of jealousy uh, for not yeah. being over. There. Yeah, I definitely did. And uh, Amy Irvin's over there, our friend, and so she's yeah, snapping some good pictures. Players, yeah. But mm-hmm. but we get to the to the game portion of things, and a few things happened. Uh, first thing was the defense was better than I thought it would be. The second thing was let's not expect one or two goal or shutout games every game from Carter Hart because it's his second year in this league and it's probably not going to happen the way this league is with its rules. Like you just, I just feel like, Ant, the expectations are so sky high. Like I even hear people Mm -hmm. saying, well, we have Carter Hart now. Now we're in the playoffs. It's like, no, you're going to need more than that to get in the playoffs, you will. No, and that's, that's very true. Again, one game does not – and the Flyers have had a long history of being pretty successful in their openers and not even make the playoffs. So, for anybody to sort of jump, you know. But, again, that's, you know, part and parcel with uh, with the fandom, too, that, you know, they get very yeah. excited off of, you know, the first real game. And there's nothing wrong with being excited. But no. at the same time, let's get, as I said the other day, you know, when we're talking about um, – we're compl- the Flyer fan base will complain about Kevin Hayes being on the being on a line with Connect- Travis Konechny and uh, and Claude Giroux. How could they do this? And then all of a sudden, after the game, oh, we've got two first lines now, and it's like it worked. Yeah, it worked. It, it worked for the game. Sure. It's, can we get to at least the ten game mark if they consistently stay with that line before? But lines before we kind of anoint that they have two first lines. <laughs> They're not at that point yet. But back, getting back to your point on Harp. Again, what's going to happen is I think we have to really sort of look at how Hart plays um, in each individual game. And in terms of we know when watching goaltenders, when they make certain critical stops at certain times of the game and base yeah. their performance on how locked in they are. And it requires a little bit, you know, it's not just a case of looking at a stat sheet and, and, and just kind of assuming and saying, oh, you know, he's got a goal up this year. Or Yeah, yeah. And again, to, to Hart's credit, he had a real, with the exception of the last preseason game against Lausanne in Switzerland, he had a phenomenal, I thought his performances, you know, even though, it was, you know, not full games were, he looked as locked in. He didn't look like he, he did. needed to sort of wade his toe, his feet into the water. Uh, he was, he looked like he was in mid-season form. And that's, the, again, that's to his credit and that's to his preparation. But again, it's, this, this is now a 20-year-old kid who now has got the keys to the car. And yep. there's going to be – there will be bumps on the road. And, and I, there's no question about that in my mind. And that's going yeah. to be very important. In turn, and that's where, where the Flyers signing Brian Elliott, who in my mind had a – looked like he needed the entire preseason to even get himself in any semblance of, of, of good performance. My concern is going forward is for those games that they need Elliott, you know, Elliott to start, they're going to need better performances than what they got out of him. We, we, everybody saw – um, you know, the behind the glass and saw, you know, Elaine Vigneault being very pointedly critical of, yep. of Elliott's play, especially in that Boston game. He can't have that. Now, Philadelphia does have some goalies in system who, can, who have NHL experience and backing up and, and, and signing in Barube and having a – Yeah, Barube, by the way, we'll, we'll talk about Barube because obviously Kim Dillabaugh has a lot of experience with him. That's a good mm-hmm. sign, and that is a hedge your bet against – Elliot it is, time. exactly, and, and, and especially with Elliot's, with Elliot's injury history and everything else, you need to have at least a, you need to have another goaltender in place who knows who is familiar 
knows the systems and everything else, and it is known to be a, a, a solid, can be a solid backup over a period of time. And then, of course, you also have Felix Sandstrom in system, too, while he's still sort of learning. Um, he, he has been in North America already last, late last mm-hmm. season, so that helps in having another goaltender who's got pretty good, who has really good talent. So I feel like Philadelphia may be a better position to withstand an Elliott, in, Elliott being out for an extended period of time. But as long as Elliott's there, he has to give them good performances in net to, to, to offset and not burn out Carter Hart this or, you know, for, for too many games. They have to be able to pace him, uh, for lack of a better word, load management in this circumstance, yep. especially even for a young goaltender. You know, there's a lot of – mental aspects to the game and again we all know Hart's got very good with regard to his mental game but it's a whole nother level when you have to be when you're looked at as being the savior uh in in net and that's kind of where things are uh with with for for Philadelphia the playoffs do hinge on the quality of performance they have in net I mean there's no question goaltending was a real sore spot and their defense was a sore spot last year and they need to have all that the defense and the goaltending up to speed that they're going to hope to be in a postseason this year mike ironically the the flyer situation with their goaltending sounds very similar to what's going on with the leafs although you know hart is 20 years old and i don't think you want to play him overly play him even though physically he could probably withstand it uh with the leafs you know anderson has just turned 30 and i think They've shown the signs over the last three years in the playoffs where you know he's I think been gassed uh, when it got to the when they, he got to the first round and you know the, I think the question marks in Toronto are very similar to what's going on with Elliott. It's like Michael Hutchinson has played in the league before. I think he's a capable backup. Problem is like for example last night he played really well for the first two and a half periods and hold then, on how did this turn into a Leafs question? No, I, I no, just don't no, know I, how I'm, this happened. I'm getting back to it. <laughs> okay. If, you, if, you, if right. you'd let me, thank you very much. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and Hutchinson gave up four goals in almost ten minutes. I, I think Elliott is more stable than that. And I think you know, maybe the Flyers are more capable of playing up for their backup goaltender. So I think that, that leans in a, in a positive direction for them. But I just think like down, down the line, the, the need for this team to make the playoffs is at the utmost. And I think when it comes down to it, at the end of the year, it's going to be similar to Lindy Ruff in Buffalo with Ryan Miller. He's going to play, Vivino is going to play Carter Hart every game if it matters to get into the playoffs or not. Okay. I will say this. As I well have a Lindy Ruff and as well, update. And at the end of the day, as well he should. And as well he should. Yes. That's your, if he's your bell cow, that's what you need to do. I have a Lindy Ruff update. He actually is using the clipboard now and stuff. So at least this year, he has a more defined role for we weren't sure last year. Um, I just wanted to mention, just on a note, I saw Evgeny Malkin get creamed yesterday. They're going to say what his status is today. So far, we don't know. He did get off to a nice start to the season, and Ant did point out this fight that Crosby had with Pierre-Luc Dubois, which Pierre-Luc Dubois is really strong, really ripped, very very ahead of his age, physically kind of kid. But as, as Ant, you pointed out, Unless you've been in the locker room with Sidney Crosby, we probably have never seen an athlete, almost in any sport, with a lower body defined the way his is. And he just yeah. he took him down. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He did. And again, he got, he, again for and, and, and I know Flyer fans had to bite their tongue on this, and I knew when, the minute I sent that tweet out that there was oh, yeah. one or two people with criticism about it. Oh, he's fighting this guy. He's not gonna fight. I'm like, 
he's not going to fight a brawler, you moron. Obviously not in this circumstance. He's going to play. A, he's going to end up fighting a player. And again, it's not like he's fighting a water bug in this case. He's fighting a pretty no. strong player in in, in in Dubois. And this is why I always say that the, the secret to Crosby's game and everything about his game, as much as we talk about the head and his hands, it's his lower body. He can do things on the ice because of the way, because of how tight, you know, how tight his circles are. Uh, when he gets into the offensive zone. And a lot of that is just ridiculous, prodigious lower body strength that he has. And even yep. when he's in, a, in, in, in the rare occasion of a fight, he's never in this circumstance going to be out. Of, you know, it, it allows him to physically engage in ways that other players, uh, star players, may not necessarily be able to do because he's that strong down low. Russ, no question. Crosby reminds me of Gilbert Perro in that respect because he was like a very, very, you know, his lower body was incredible. And the few fights that he did get in his career, he took on guys like Dan Maloney and Brian Watson and beat the crap out of them. So it's yeah. it's not surprising. You know, the one other injury that was, I think, very uh, – key uh last night was taylor hall getting freight trained oh, by yeah. jake yeah, that was a hell of a, leaving, he leaving kind of was coming in on the check too right mike he was coming right in, I was yeah he was so it was a defensive McCabe, check and he got just obliterated on and that. McCabe, mccabe didn't he went high but he didn't go ahead so but uh but hall left the game didn't come back and you know he's in a big year in terms of his career with a, going into free agency and whether the devil's uh, re-sign him or not, or whether he wants too much money. And the fact that if he's hurt in game one or game two for the Devils, I mean, that's you – know, and, and he's out for an extended period of time. That's going to change uh, maybe the mindset of the organization and maybe Hall himself. Yeah, all right. So the last part of this show, um, we do have a new beer out there. And this time it's going to be a positive. I even think Mike will be on board with this. But we'll go to Mike last because he's usually the – the naysayer of the group, more than me even. Uh, but and it looks like Yingling and Hershey have gotten together, and they're going to make like a chocolate chocolate port. And I think that's a great shock. idea. <laughs> oh, shock. The minute you mention Hershey, like, yeah, here comes chocolate porter. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, porter. And I, I've had a few of them in my day. There's an organic one out there that's really good. It's not my beer of choice, like, for every day, but once in a while for something different to co- sort of wake up the taste buds. This is a good combination right here. This is almost like the chocolate and peanut butter kind of combination here, I think. It works. My question is going to be, are they using, the, are they using their uh, dark cocoa or are they using the milk chocolate? Uh, that's a good question. Probably. Because, if it's a milk, because if it's a milk chocolate, I would think it would probably work better with a stout because of, right. of the smoothness of it. But I'm assuming maybe they're going to be using something. Because with, with, with a porter in this case, I would think you would probably want to have a darker – one of their yeah. darker chocolates, one that's a little bit more bitter because it's going to jive better with the uh, with the uh, with that particular mix. So, no, I'll, I'll listen, it, it sounds good. It, it, it sounds like a, a worthy try. I'm I'm all for that. Mike, Russell, I will shock you. This is a thumbs up for me. I my, one of my one of my favorite <laughs> beverages is uh, Young's Double Chocolate Stout, it's an English beer. Uh, and and I I would give this a try. Uh, Yingling is not exactly one of my favorites, but you know I, it's I would, a good go-to you're, you're beer. Not, I think you're not yeah. the only one. It's just it, it, in this part in this neck of the woods because it's in Pennsylvania because it's a Pennsylvania brewery. Everybody's got it. Someone offers it to you at like you know a backyard barbecue. You're not going to say no to it. But if you right. have other choices, you're probably going to pick something else. But you know, yeah, I like, will yeah. tell you this. You know when you know when I do pick it, Aunt. 
when you go to a yeah. place and you maybe it's kind of busy and there's like 25 beers on the tap and you don't have time to test them out and then you just see that and you're like, all right, at least I know what that you is. Just a good clean, you just need a good clean regular beer in this case. Yeah. Whatever's fast to get in your hand. It's like yeah. Jenny Cream Ale in Buffalo. No, it's better than that, I think. No. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's better than that. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's a That's, you're, you're really you're treading it there, Mike. That's both. Yeah. People use Jenny. Sorry. People use Jenny Cream Ale to take the rust off of uh, like certain appliances. <laughs> Jenny that's, Cream Ale and PBR. Now that's, good, now that's a good use of that. Yeah, Jenny Cream Ale and PBR are on the same level. Like, that's a good fair fight right there. Now, PBR is just a, a beer that you use basically when, you know, you're, at an, you're, you're after, you're after a, a beer league game, and it's just like you, your taste buds don't register anything at this point except fizz and car, a little bit of carbonation and, a little <laughs> bit of, and, an, and an alcohol aftertaste. Other than that, you're not tasting much of anything at that point. And no, that's true. <laughs> PBR, PBR is a good a good substitute if you've run out of Ipecac syrup. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that note, right. uh, there is no right. there is no interview uh, after the show this week. We're we're skipping Aww. this week. Hey, there's plenty of interviews to go along and some really good ones. That's true. Can't. So <laughs> you can hold the applause. Or the growl, or the growl, growls, growls, whatever that was. I don't know, groans. All right, but that's it. That's it for Off the Post. We'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody.